Okay, so we're starting on the bottom of base Ahmed base two B, three lines from the bottom. Amar Le Rav Masna Abaya. Rav Masna says to Abaya, "Hatam nehavin, tarte srehavin." He says to Abaya, "There aren't actually only eight cases in the Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us that there are four, which are eight of taking in and taking out. It says there aren't actually only eight cases. Tarte srehavin. There are really twelve cases. What are the twelve cases? So he's including." The fact that there are also actions taken by those who are exempt in the case of where the, the cases where both of them are doing the action together, so we say they're both exempt, right? In other words, where one of them does the Akira, one of them lifts it up in the public domain, then brings it into the private domain, and the other person takes the item out of his hand, or vice versa. So since neither of them are doing the entire action, they're both exempt. But we look at that as only being one case. So if Master's asking, instead of calling that Eight cases total, we should call it 12 cases. We should split those cases up where there's two different people doing an action in each of those cases, and that will end up with 12 different types of cases, so to speak. Not actually 12 different types of cases, but 12 different people doing actions. So the response of Abaya is, If you're right that we count everybody who's involved, then this should really be 16 cases, because even in the first four cases, in which one person is doing the entire action, the Akira and the Hanacha, the lifting up and the placing down, he is also putting it into someone else's hand. And when he puts it into someone else's hand, that means the other person's involved. So there are really 16 people, 16 different people involved in all the cases of the Mishnah, if you're right that we count everybody. The Gemara says, no, that's not a question. There's not, clearly there aren't 16 people involved. Why? When it comes to the original cases in the Mishnah in which one person is doing the entire action, over there, it's obvious that the, the second person is not doing anything at all. He is pater umutter, right? The leikatani, right? You don't have to tell us that in the first case of the Mishnah, if they have the ani standing in the public domain, and he picks up an item from the public domain doing the Akira. He then places it down in the private domain in the hand of the Balabayas doing the Hanacha. The Balabayas did nothing. His hands just happened to accept something. That's not even an action. And we would call that Patr Umutr. That it's not even something that is exempt from liability, but it's forbidden for him to do so. It actually would be permitted for him to hold on to that item when someone puts it into his hand because he did no action at all. So we would never describe it. There's 16 actors in the Mishnah. There aren't 16 actors in the Mishnah. There is no action being done in the first case where one party is doing the entire action and just placing it at the end into the hands of, the, of whoever he might be placing it into. But the question still stands. What about 12? Baba de Seifa in the, in the cases in the second part of the Mishnah, the Patraval Asr Kasha. So the Gemara says over there, in the cases in the Seifa, the one person is... Both people are acting, and the question just is, are you exempt from liability? But both of them are actually actors. The Gemara then says, what do you mean? Is that true that in the Seifa, it's patr aval asr, that you are exempt from liability, but it's still forbidden to be done? Is it true that there are cases in Shabbos that are exempt and are also actually permitted to be done? So, in other words, if someone would ask you, the Balabayas comes and says, hey, listen, there's a poor person outside my house who's doing an Akira in the Rishos Sarabim, and he's picking up an item and he's putting it down in my hand. Am I actually permitted to accept that from him? And the answer is yes. But the Gemara is saying, is that true that there are cases that when we say Mesech Shabbos, we say Pater, exempt, and it even means not just exempt, but actually Mutar, it's actually permitted to do so? Is that true? Shmuel told us, Shmuel made a statement. The statement is, Anytime it tells us that you are exempt 
from liability on Shabbos. It means you are exempt, but it's still forbidden to be done, except for these three cases. What are these three cases? The Paturu Mutter, that they're actually exempt and they're actually permitted to be done initially. Right? So it seems that Shmuel is saying only these three cases and nothing more, which would tell us that in the first four cases in the Mishnah, where someone is just sitting there and holding out his hand and accepting the item, indeed he is exempt from liability, but he is still forbidden to do so initially. Right? So the Gemara says, what are the three cases that Shmuel says you're actually permitted to do this? Three cases are Tzedas Tzvi, trapping a deer. We're talking about a very interesting case of trapping a deer. Basically a deer goes into a house, and then you sit down at the doorway of the house, not with the intention of trapping the deer, with the intention of sitting down, right? So it's permitted to do so, even though that will consequently cause the deer to be trapped. Another case, but say that's nachash. Also, where you trap a snake. Another case, umapas morsa, where someone has an abscess and they, they, um, they make a hole in the abscess to get out some of that pus so that they can heal properly. All three of these cases are at not just exempt from liability, they're actually permitted to be done so initially. But it says only these three cases. The assumption is, the inference is, that even those cases in the Mishnah where you're just accepting the item from someone else who already did the entire action, would you might be exempt from liability, but it's still forbidden to be done. It seems to be the inference from Shmuel's statement. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, that's not a question. When Shmuel said, there are three things that you're actually permitted to do initially, he's referring to where you're actually taking action. Over here, there is no action. In the first cases of the Mishnah, the other party here is not doing any action at all. So over there, maybe it is actually permitted to let someone else do an action when you're just a passive person. When Shmuel was saying there are only three cases where you are exempt and it's actually permitted to be done, so that's the matter where you're actually taking an action. Then there's only three cases. But in the first case of the Mishnah, you're not even taking an action. Okay, so now we're still left with our question. So there should still be 12 cases listed in the Mishnah, at least 12 actors listed in the Mishnah. Why are we only listing eight? We are only dealing with cases that you did the initial part of the action and then the second part of the action was done by somebody else. So we're only dealing with from the perspective of the person who started the action. It's patr aval asr. It is exempt, but you are forbidden to do so. Why are we only dealing with those cases? Because those are cases where you might have ended up getting to do a chiyav chatas. You might have ended up finishing that action that you started. If you did the akira, you did the lifting up, and then you ended up doing the hanacha, then you would have done the entire action, and you actually would have to bring a carbon chatas. So that, from that perspective, we want to say he is patr aval aster. He is exempt from actually bringing a carbon, but it is forbidden for him to do so. But we don't need to tell you that the case of where the second guy does the Hanacha but didn't do the Akira, in other words, he places it down in the second domain, that it is exempt, Pater Aval Asr, that is exempt but forbidden to be done. Why do we need to tell you about that case? Because that's not a case that would even get to a Karban Chatas. That could, your action comes in the second half of the, of the um, second half of this uh, deed. And since it comes in the second half of this deed, there's no way for it to ever turn into the first half, which will then be enough to be the complete action. Whereas if you start off the action by doing the Akira, you might end up doing the second half of the action, the Hanacha, and therefore you would actually be obligated to bring a Karban. And, and that's, the, that's the perspective that we want to discuss in the Mishnah. And that's why we say there are eight different actors in the Mishnah, but not 12 actors in the Mishnah. Okay, now the Gemara asks us a question. So, the Mishnah tells us that if two people do one complete action that's forbidden to be done on Shabbos together, they are exempt from bringing a carbon. 
The Gemara asks, Why are they exempt? Between the two of them, they are doing a complete forbidden action, right? The action that's forbidden to be done is to do an akira, to lift it up in the one domain, and then do the hanacha, placing it down in another domain. Over here, that is being done. It's just being done by two people. So between the two of them, they did one complete action. Why are they putter? Tanya, we learned in a brisa. Rebbe, I'm a Rebbe, says, We learn out, it says from a pasuk in Vayikra, that when he does the action, the Gemara learns out from that Pasuk that to be chayef for doing an action on Shabbos, you have to do the entire action. You can't just have done part of the action and then together with someone else, finish it. So yachid chayef. If one person does the entire action chayef, he is liable to bring the carbon. Two people are doing the action together, but two and they are exempt from bringing the carbon. We learned that out from the Pasuk. So that's why in our Mishnah, when two people are doing the action together, one does the Akira, one does the Hanacha, one lifts it up, one puts it down in the other domain, they are exempt because neither of them did the entire action. Itmanami, we bring a proof to this as well. Says, it was thrown out amongst the Chabura, amongst our group of people learning Torah. We said the same thing as well. We made the same drasha, the same way of understanding that Pasuk, that when it says that when he does that act, then it tells us that it has the entire act has to be done from beginning to end by one person. And if it's done by two, they are exempt. Starting the new Gemara, Baimine Ravni Rebbe. Rav asks Rebbe a question. Hitinu chaveira oichlin umashkin vahitzian lachutz mahu. Akiras gufuka akiras chayfitz mimikaimadami umachayev oidumaloi. He asks like this. Let's say your friend loads you up with food and drink on your body, puts it on your back, right? Puts, sticks it in your backpack. And then what do you do? Then you walk out to the public domain. You were in the private domain. You got loaded up in the private domain. You did not do an akira in the classic sense. You did not pick up the food and drink from the floor, right? You just put on your back. Mahu, what's the halacha? So do we say that the fact that you lifted up your feet and started moving your body in the private domain, that itself is considered to be the lifting up of the chayfetz, lifting up of the object from its place where it's in right now, and therefore you'd be obligated to bring a carbon when you end up going into the public domain? Or do we not say that? Do we say the only time that you're obligated to bring a carbon is if you physically removed the object from its place on the ground, or placed on the table, and then picked it up, and then walked into the public domain and put it down. But if the item was already on your body, then the fact that your body moved location, it's not considered to be a lifting up of the item from its original place. That's the Gemara's question. Amarle, Rabbi says to him, Chayef, you're obligated to bring a carbon. That moving with your body is the same thing as moving with your hand. He says it's not similar to hand. What does he mean by that? He means like this. Let's say... If I put my hand, the Mishnah told us, if, I, if I'm standing outside, I'm the Ani, I'm standing outside the house, and I put my hand inside the house, and the owner of the house puts an item down in my hand. When I move my hand back into the public domain, we don't look at that as me doing an Akira for moving my hand. So we said like this, when you actually have something on your body, and you take a step from the private domain into the public domain, that's considered to be an Akira. When you lift up your body from one place to another, that itself is considered to be a significant lifting up and going to another place. But when something is in your hand, we don't look at that as being significant enough to call it that you did an action of taking from the private domain and putting it into the public domain. What's the difference? 
My time, what's the difference? What's the reason? When your, when your body is at rest, it's considered to be in one place. And since your body is considered to be grounded to the floor, then when the item is on your body, that item is now considered to be grounded to the floor as well. So if you then move to another place, then that's going to be a... That's going to be an act of moving from one place to another. But when the item is in your hand, it's not considered to be at rest in one place. And therefore, if you move from one place to another, that you move your hand from one place to another, that's not going to be enough of an action of moving from a place at rest. And therefore, you would be, a, you would be exempt from the case of when your hand is moving, it's not considered to be the entire action. Turn the page now to 3b. Amalei Ravchia Rav Ravchia, who is Rav's Uncle tells him, Bar Pachti, son of great ones, did I not tell you, didn't I teach you that if Rebbe is in the middle of learning one Masechta, you should not interrupt and ask him a question in another Masechta? In other words, Rebbe was not learning the laws of Shabbos at that point. Rebbe Huda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, was not learning the laws of Shabbos at that point. It's not fair to ask him a question in the laws of Shabbos. Why? Maybe when he wouldn't have been thinking about the laws of Shabbos, he hasn't been learning it lately, and he wouldn't have given you the right answer. The Elav, the Rebbe Gava Rabbah, who is if not for the fact that Rebbe is a Gava Rabbah, is a tremendous person, you might have embarrassed him. Because he would have answered you an answer that is not the proper answer. But now he actually did give you a good answer. Why? Because we learned in Abraisa. If someone loaded you up with food and drink early in the day, and you went out to the outside domain, once the, once the sun has gone down and Shabbos has begun, why? You're chayev over there, you are obligated to bring a carbon because it's not similar to hand. In other words, we see this price explicitly that if somebody is in the public, in, the, in one domain, got loaded up before Shabbos, Right? You can't say that, well, he loaded it up and that's the Akira, that's lifting it off the ground and that's the beginning of this action. That's not true because he got loaded up before Shabbos and that obviously is permitted to be done. He got loaded up before Shabbos and now he's already loaded and he's standing in the private domain and then he makes his move to go to the public domain or vice versa. That itself is going to be an Akira and Anacha because lifting up, moving your feet from one domain to another is considered to be a, a lifting up of the item even though you only moved your feet and not the actual item since the item is on you and, the, and your body is considered to be attached to the ground, grounded to this area right now, when you go from one place to another, it's considered to be moving the item from one place to one rishos, one domain to another domain. Amar Abayah, Abayah says, Pshitoli, it is obvious to me, The hand of a person does not have the equivalent status of being in the public domain, does not have the equivalent status of being in the private domain. What is this referring to? It's referring to like this. Let's say you have someone standing in the public domain and he sticks his hand into the private domain. Is his hand considered to still be in the public domain because his body is in the public domain? Answer is, no, not really. And, and vice versa is also true. Let's say you have someone standing in the private domain who sticks his hand into the public domain. Is his hand considered to still be in the private domain because his body is in the private domain? In other words, do we say that his hand goes after his body and his body is considered to be on one domain and his hand therefore is always considered to be in the same domain as his body even if physically speaking it's actually currently resting in another domain. And Abayah says I can bring you two proofs that this is not true that the hand is considered to be in a different domain than the body. How do I know? So so I can tell you that it, when your body is in the public domain and your hand is in the private domain, I know that your hand is not considered to be in the same domain as your body. Why? From the case of the hand of the poor person in our Mishnah. So 
the case of our mission is like this. The poor person is standing in Rosh Hashanah and he takes his hand and he sticks it into the private domain and he puts it down. And he, I'm sorry, he sticks his hand into the private domain and then the balabayas, the owner of the house, then picks up an item and sticks it in the hand of the Ani. Now, if the Ani's hand is considered to be in the public domain, then when the balabayas puts, his, puts an item into the hand of the Ani, at that point, it will be considered like the Balabayas picked up an item in the private domain and put it into the hands of the Ani, which is in the public domain, which would then be an Akira and Anacha. And the Balabayas would indeed be obligated to bring a carbon. But the Halacha is that if the Balabayas, the master of the house, p- picks up the item and puts it in the, ha- in the private domain and puts it in the hand of the Ani that is currently located in the private domain, and then the Ani takes his hand back out and puts it down in the public domain, they are both exempt because neither of them are considered to do a full action. Well, if the if the hand of the Ani goes after his body, his body's in the public domain, and the master of the house is in the private domain. So that would then be a problem of picking up an item in the public domain and putting it in the private domain. So what we see from here is that we don't say that the hand goes after the body where it's attached to. Now, how do you have the proof the other way? Mara says, I see that if the master, if someone is standing in Rishusayachid in the private domain, and the hand is now in the public domain, we see that the hand is not called, we don't perceive the hand to be currently in a state of private domain. How do I know? From the hand of the owner of the house. Why? The owner of the house's hand is, the owner is standing inside his house. He sticks his hand outside the house. Now, if we said that his hand is considered to be as if it's in the private domain still, then if the ani, if the poor person would stick the item into the hand of the balabayas, into the hands of the owner of the house when it is outside the house, it will be a complete action of lifting up ani, picks up an item in the public domain, puts it down in the hands of the balabayas in the private domain if we actually say that the hand goes after the body. But we don't say that in the Mishnah. The halacha in the Mishnah was that if the owner of the house sticks his hand outside and the ani picks up an item in the public domain, sticks it into the hand of the owner of the house, then the owner of the house is considered to be doing the hanacha, placing it down in his domain, and the ani, the poor person, is considered to be doing the akira of putting it into his hand. And neither of them did the entire action. So we see that the hand does not go after the body completely. Okay, now Abaya asks a question. Baya Abaya, now they establish those two points. Abaya asks a question. The hand of a person, do Chazal treat it like a karmelis? Do Chazal give it the halachic status of the middle ground domain. So we said yesterday there's four different types of domains. There's the Rishus HaYachad, private domain. Rishus HaRab, public domain. Then there's Karmelis, that the space that is technically a Rishus HaYachad. On a Torah level, it is completely a Rishus HaYachad, private domain. But because it looks like a Rishus HaRabim, therefore Chazal said we have to treat it as if it is a Rishus HaRabim vis-a-vis Rishus HaYachad, but Rishus HaYachad vis-a-vis Rishus HaRabim. Now, so when your hand goes outside of your body, so your body is currently in, let's say, the public domain. I'm sorry, let's make it easy. Your body is in the private domain, and you stick your hand outside into the public domain. Do we look at your hand as now being called a caramelist, that it, it itself is in the state of uncertainty and it can't go back into the house? Or do we say your hand is still considered to be private domain and can go back into your house? What's the question exactly? So the Gemara is going to speak it out. Gemara says the question is like this. Let's say somebody has an a item in his hand, he's in the private domain, he sticks his hand outside to the public domain. Is he allowed to bring his hand back into the house or not? 
Now, you might say he's allowed to bring his hand back into the house because he never did, he did not kiru in Rishos HaYachid, he never did a hanacha in Rishos he never put it down in Rishos so he's allowed to bring it back into the house. There's nothing wrong with that. Or do we say that Chazal said, our sages taught us, that you're not permitted to bring it back in. We treat it as if it's a Carmelist, and therefore once it goes outside the house, the state of your hand changes, and halachic status now becomes a Carmelist, the, another type of domain, and therefore it would be rabbinically forbidden to bring it back into your house. Now, Let's bring a proof. Your hand is full of fruits and you bring it outside the house. So it's actually in different brides, in different collections of Tanaic statements. Let's say you have a hand that's full of food and you put it outside your house. Are you permitted to bring it back into the house or not? One Tana says you are permitted, one Tana says you're not permitted. So we see, it seems to be whether or not your hand gets the halakhic status of a karmelist, in which case it will be forbidden to bring back in, or not, and in which case it will be permitted to bring back in. My lab, is it not that this is what they're arguing about? The Marasavik Karmelist, one of them says that your hand gets the halakhic status of a karmelist, or Marasavik Karmelist, and one of them says your hand does not get the halakhic status of a karmelist, and therefore, and therefore it is permitted to bring back into the house. Look, Gemara says, not true. The Kuliyalak, a Carmelist, everybody agrees that your hand gets the halachic status of a Carmelist. But like Kasha, Kan Lamatameasara, Kan Lamaylameasara, cases like this. When you stuck your hand outside the house, did you stick it out lower than 10 Tfachim off the ground or higher than 10 Tfachim off the ground? So if you stuck it out lower than 10 Tfachim off the ground, then it's considered to be attached to the ground, so to speak. Up till 10 Tfachim off the ground is considered to be Rishasarabim, public domain. Once you get more than 10 Tfachim high, it's no longer considered to be Rishasarabim, public domain. So if you stuck your hand out of your house lower than 10 tefachim off the ground, then since on some level that could be the public domain, then Chazal said you can't bring it back in. But if, if you stuck it out higher than 10 tefachim off the ground, then there's no reason for them to give it the status of Carmelist, this quasi-domain that is in between either of them, and therefore it's permitted to bring it back in. Another answer is, Both of them are talking about where you stuck your hand out lower than 10 tefachim off the ground. And it is not, your hand is not going to take on the halachic status of a Carmelist, this quasi-state. So what's the difference? Why are they, one case they say it's permitted, one case they say it's forbidden. Morris is something fascinating. One case is talking about where you stuck your hand outside the house, less than 10 tefachim off the ground, while it was Friday afternoon. And one case is talking about where you stuck your hand outside the house after Shabbos started. If you stuck your hand outside the house before Shabbos started, then Chazal, then sages allow you to bring your hand back in, and they don't say that your hand gets the halachic status of a different state, a different domain, in which case you're not permitted to bring it in. That they don't say. As long as you stuck your hand out outside before Shabbos, then you're permitted to bring it back in. But if you stuck your hand out after Shabbos began, then Chazal say, you know what, you did something wrong, we're going to penalize you for doing that, and therefore we're not allowing you to bring it back in. The Gemara says, one second, that doesn't make any sense. Adaraba, this doesn't make any sense. If you want to say that there's a differentiation drawn between a case where you stuck your hand out before Shabbos began and a case where you stuck your hand out after Shabbos began, the, the differentiation should be the exact opposite. Ipcha mestavrele, the opposite makes sense. Gemara says like this. You know what makes more sense? What makes more sense is to say like this. If you stick your hand outside the house with the food on your hand, and you stuck your hand out before Shabbos began, let's say after Shabbos begins, you end up dropping the food on the ground. What have you violated? You've done an Isser Darabanan, you violated a rabbinic prohibition of doing even part of the action of lifting 
an item up in one domain, putting it down in another domain. But you did not do an entire action at all because when you picked it up from inside the house and put your hand outside, it wasn't yet Shabbos. So if you end up dropping the item on the floor, what will be the status? It'll be the status of having done half of the action that is forbidden, in which case, would you bring a karmen chatas? No, you wouldn't bring a karmen chatas. Now, in the second case where you picked up the item in your house on Shabbos and put your hand outside on Shabbos, if we do not permit you to bring your hand back in the house, what's going to inevitably end up happening? You'll inevitably end up dropping the item on Rosh Hashanah in the public domain. And then what's going to happen? You're going to have to bring a carbon chatas. You're going to have to bring a carbon for having done a complete action that's forbidden to be done on Shabbos. So if the Chachamim were trying to figure out where should they make their knas, where should they penalize you, it makes more sense to say that they'd penalize you in a case where even if you complete the action, you're not going to end up doing a violation. The penalty is that you can't bring the item back into your house, right? Would they, does it make sense that Chachamim would penalize you not to bring the item back into your house if the end up cause will end up being, the result of that penalty will be that you'll end up violating a Torah violation? That's not so likely. It's more likely that they'll only penalize you if the result of that is not going to be violating a Torah prohibition, but only to violate a rabbinic prohibition of doing half of the action. <coughs> so Gemara says it makes more sense to say, if you want to differentiate between a case where you took it out before Shabbos and on Shabbos, it makes more sense to say that when do they penalize you? When you take it out before Shabbos. But they would not penalize you when you take it out on Shabbos, because when you take it out on Shabbos, you'll end up coming to violate a Torah prohibition if they penalize you and don't allow you to bring it back into the house. So the Gemara says, from the fact that we don't give this answer and the fact that we didn't say that, what do we see from here? We see that if Chazal, if their sages say, listen, even if it means penalizing you in a way that will end up causing you to violate a Torah prohibition, they might still see the need to do that. Right? Because what we're saying right now is, when do they penalize you that you're not permitted to bring your hand back in? If you stuck your hand out on Shabbos. Result of that's going to be they penalize you, not allowing you to bring your hand back in on a rabbinic level, which will lead to you violating a Torah level of dropping an item in the public domain that you brought outside on Shabbos, which will be a violation of a Torah prohibition. And still they weren't concerned. They said you're not permitted to bring it back in. So, so right, so we see that that's their position. So Gemara says, so from here we should be able to bring a proof to a different question. We have a famous question. Tipshit to Rebbe Barabaya. Rebbe Barabaya asked the question. If someone takes, in the old days, they had a, like a, a um, an ish, what's it called again? A, a lafa, like an ish tamid. The, um, the, the ovens that are like a brick wall that are very heated up, and you would take the batter and you would shove it onto the wall of the oven, and then afterwards it would cook on the wall of the oven. Let's say someone attaches the batter to the wall of the oven. It has not yet finished cooking. Now, the Chachamim said, that it is forbidden to remove past that is cooking on Shabbos from the oven. The reason why it's forbidden, it's only forbidden on a rabbinic level. It, according to some opinions, it has to do with, it's like some sort of chachma, some sort of wisdom. It's not the type of thing you should be doing on Shabbos to actually remove it from the oven on Shabbos. So they gave a prohibition. In general, you're not permitted to remove bread that's cooking in an oven from, on Shabbos. Now let's say somebody ended up putting it into the oven on Shabbos. So if they does not remove the bread now, what's going to end up happening? It will end up cooking Till it's fully cooked. If it's fully cooked, what, what did he just do? He just violated a malacha da a Torah prohibition of baking on Shabbos. But the Chachamim said you're not permitted to remove bread on Shabbos. What do we say? Do we say that the Chachamim waive their penalty in a case where it's going to lead to you violating a Torah prohibition? Or do we say once they said you're not permitted to remove bread, bread from an oven on Shabbos, they no no waiver of that, even in a case where what, well, the result will be that you'll end up violating a Torah prohibition. So that's Rebbe Barabaya's question. 
So if someone is attached bread to a tanner on Shabbos, do they permit you to remove it before you'll end up coming to a violation of a carbon chatas violation or not? Tifshite, so you should be able to bring a proof from here, that they do not permit you to do so. Why? Because over here what we said is that in a case where you stuck your hand out on Shabbos and it'll end up coming to a violation of a Torah prohibition when you drop the item, they still might have penalized you not to allow you to bring your hand back in. But when you put your hand out before Shabbos, they do allow you to, to bring it back in. They don't penalize you. We see from here that the Chachamim will penalize you on a rabbinic level, even though the result is going to be a violation of a Torah prohibition. So the Gemara says, this should be the answer for a Beves Kasha. Halei Kasha, the Gemara says, it's not a question. But Tifshite, maybe indeed we could bring a proof from here to the answer to Rebbe's question. Rebbe wanted to know if someone attaches bread to the oven wall when Shabbos starts, is he permitted to remove it? Do the Chachamim waive their rights or not? And the answer is, they don't waive their rights, as we find that they penalize in other cases, even though it means that the result will be a violation of a Torah prohibition. Another answer is, maybe from here you don't see any proof that, that the rule is that you're not permitted to, to take it out. There's not a question. One case is talking about where there was a shaygeg, one case is talking about where there was a mezid. Right? So what happens like this? What happened is, in both of these brises, somebody took his hand with an item on it and put it outside his house. But in one case, he put it out in one case, he put it out by mistake. In one case, he put it out on purpose. If he put it out by mistake, it is permitted to take it back in. They didn't penalize you not to not be allowed to take the item back into your house. But Mazid, if you put it out on purpose with the intention of violating Shabbos, then, and then you change your mind, then, they don't even permit you to take it back into the house. You better say, another answer to differentiate between the two braces. One of which says that it's permitted to take it back in, one of which says it's not permitted. Both of them are talking about where you did it by mistake, you took the item out of the house. And the question is, do they penalize a case of accidental taking it out? Because if they don't penalize accidental, you might end up coming to do it on purpose. So, so one Bryce went with the position that they do penalize a case of accidental taking it out because you might then come to take it out on purpose. And one says, they do not penalize a case of accidental taking it out because you might come to do it on purpose. The Bayes say another way to differentiate between the two braces, one of which says it is permitted to take it back in, one which says it's forbidden. They do not penalize, right? If they don't penalize, so why are you not permitted to take it back in? It's not a question. One time we're talking about where you're bringing it back into the same chatzar, then you are permitted to bring it back. One time we're talking about where you're going to put it into a third chatzar. So essentially you're standing in one private domain and you stuck your hand out into the public domain and you want to put it down in a different private domain that's not your private domain. So in the case where you want to put it down in a different private domain, then they penalize you, you're not permitted to do so. But in the case where you want to bring it back into your own domain, then you are permitted to bring it back into your own domain. What's the difference? Your hand is full of fruits, and you bring it out of your house into the public domain. Are you permitted to take it back into your own chatzar, into your own courtyard? He says you are permitted to do so. To put it down into another courtyard, what's the halacha? He says it's forbidden to do. What's the difference? Then if you, he says, go eat a core, a measure of salt, and then I'll tell you the answer. In the case where you end up putting it back into your own domain, you did not fulfill your original intention. Since you did not fulfill your original intention, you are going to be permitted to actually bring it back into your own domain. But in the case where you wanted to put it into someone else's domain, 
And if, you, if we end up letting you put it into that other person's domain, you actually fulfilled your original intention. Therefore, Chazal say, our sages teach us, you're not permitted to do so. So that, at the end of the day, is going to be the difference between the two braces, according to Rava. The difference is, was your intention to put it down in, in your own domain, or was your intention to put it down in someone else's domain? If your intention was to put it down in someone else's domain, then you're not permitted to do that. If your intention is to put it down in someone else's domain, but now you want to bring it back to your own domain, then you are permitted to do that. That they do not penalize, because that would not be considered to be fulfilling your original intent.